Good morning. How you guys doing? Cool, cool, cool. Hey, um, again, my name is Zach. We are uh, been preaching through this sermon series, and before we dive into that, just a couple things you may have noticed. Uh, we have a new sound system, and it sounds fantastic. Um, I, I guess the sound system doesn't sound sound system doesn't sound fantastic. Our band does, and our sound system is allowing that to come through. I should say, right? That's appropriate, Dave. Right? Is that okay? Dave says that's good. So, just want to check with him. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it sounds fantastic. Uh, one of our, you know, like our, our uh, what, kind of our adopted sending church, Missio Day, has graciously given us some stuff at a steep discount, and so we were able to um, to set that up this week, and uh, we we had to buy some stuff ourselves as well. And and one of the things I want to say is like, hey, like we, we're trying to be a good steward of what God has given us. Um, that's why you're sitting in very old seats that are good enough for about an hour, um, and then they start to get uncomfortable. So that's like, all right, that's good enough for us. Um, and uh, I don't have to sit in them, so I don't know. What do I care? Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm totally kidding. Um, but, so you have those seats. But So we did spend some money on the sound system because, man, like if you look around, you think about our first gathering, first gathering was like completely full. Uh, we just don't have enough room anymore. Um, and so we wanted to, when we upgrade our sound system, we wanted to get something that was going to be big enough to be wherever we go next. And so we did that. Monsieur Day helped us do that uh, in Asheville, so that was fantastic. So, uh, man, it sounded really good this morning. Uh, we've had some technical things as we learn how to use it. Um, and so, like, if that happens, don't worry, we're figuring it out. Um, it's all my fault. I forgot to tell people stuff, and so it's just me. Just blame me. Uh, but, yeah, so it's been really great. But on that note, the real thing I want to say is, hey, like, we're looking for a bigger space, just to be honest with you guys. Um, we're looking for a bigger space. There, there could be a number of different things that we do. Uh, one thing I want to say is, like, I know we want to be in a bigger space. There's not a lot of spaces for us to move into. It may seem like there is because Spruce Pine has some empty buildings. Um, but the problem with empty buildings in a, in a town like this is they're not up to code. And we can't move in uh, without the fire marshal getting upset and uh, without, you know, specters getting upset, and we want to. It's not just about getting upset. We want to follow the laws of our land. We want to be safe where we meet. We want our kids to be safe, um, and so we're not willing to sacrifice that and try and just get by, um, and so all that to say is hey, we're looking for spaces to be praying with us. Man, that could look like us moving into another place that's a lot like, you know, like this, like non-churchy. It could mean we move into an old church, and you guys are just going to have to be okay with that, right? Just to be honest with you guys. Like, I mean, th we talk about church isn't the building, um, and I think we believe that until we go into a church building. And we're like, I don't want to be here. I want to be in a bar. Um, and so, like, you've got to believe that no matter where you are, okay? Amen? Can we agree? Am I up here? Okay, cool. So, it's not the building. So, we may, hey, we may, you know, move into a church. So I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anything. I'm just, like, praying. God, if you want us to move into a church building that has a steeple and a bell, I don't know if we'll use the bell, but we'll be in there. And we'll preach the gospel. Uh, whether we're in, you know, a theater down the street, whether we're in a church some, anywhere in the county, whether we're in a bar, in the park, wherever we need to go, we will preach the gospel, which is what today's sermon is. That's a good transition. Today's sermon, if you didn't notice, it's about preaching. We've been in, uh, going through this sermon series called When We Gather, um, which is talking about what we do on Sunday mornings. Why do we do this stuff we do on Sunday mornings? We do a lot of different stuff. One thing is we gather, right? So we're all here. Um, and then we serve one another. A bunch of people made some awesome food for us. People set these chairs up for you yesterday. Someone cleaned the bathroom so you can use those. Someone's messing with the sound and the slide. We serve one another. Someone has our kids. Um, someone does puppet shows with our kids. We serve. We also pray. Um, we pray together, and we sing together, which was last week. Last week I shared how um, 
I accidentally left my mic on. I think someone turned it on, but we'll go. We'll benefit of the doubt. Uh, I accidentally left my mic on last a couple weeks ago, and you could hear me singing on Facebook. Uh, you guys went and listened because the views shot up on that video. <laughs> so thank you. Some of you guys tried to get your whole home group to listen to it, but some of my brothers saved me from that embarrassment, told them to shut that thing down. And, and if you want to listen on your own time, you do it. But we're not going to embarrass Zach in front of people. So it was bad. Um, it wasn't like the worst of American Idol bad, but it was like, it, it was, I would not, you know, it would not have gone through. So um, thanks for doing that. But we sing. I don't care. I still sing today. I checked my mic like 500 times while I was singing, but I still sing. And, uh, and, and also, we don't just sing, we preach. Um, and so we, we're going to be in, in here. We read the passage together. I'm going to read a little bit behind what we read. Um, we're going to read some more. Because what I want to do is give you some context, right? So the book of 2 Timothy is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Paul has planted a church in Ephesus. You can see uh, the letter to Ephesus. It's, it's the book of Ephesians. The letter of Ephesians is the church to Ephesus. Timothy is the pastor um, or bishop of Ephesus, right? So he's the guy over the church in Ephesus, and Paul is writing to him a second letter. Um, he wrote a first letter. It's called 1 Timothy. And so the second one, Paul's about as creative as I am, right? Like, you know, James, 2 Timothy. So I just follow what he does. Uh, he didn't name it that. That's just what we've named it, if you guys don't know that. Um, Second Timothy. He's writing Timothy. Timothy's a pastor of a, of, a, of a pretty big church. Church in Ephesus was pretty large. And he's young. He's timid. He's fearful. He's got some anxiety. And Paul's writing him a letter to encourage him, to exhort him, encourage him, um, to, to continue to do what he knows he's been called to do. But... Paul, in the previous 10 verses, or 9 verses technically, Paul gave us some context of what could be going on or what's about to be going on in Timothy's church and around his church. So we're going to read that together. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 1. This is, the, this, this is some context to what you see Paul telling young Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray for various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a, truth, at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." So Paul describes this time in the last days. Does it sound familiar to you guys? Anyone? Does it sound like anything you've ever experienced? Yeah, today. Like this is like, you know, in, in Timothy's time too, Paul was telling Timothy this is coming. And it's today. Like if you ever want to like just, hey, is the Bible true? Paul, Paul nailed it. Like this is what today looks like, right? Um, I mean, we don't have to get very far. Lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. I mean, all these things could describe what's going on today. But it's not unique to today. This is almost 2,000 years ago. Same stuff was going on. This is not unique today. But Paul is writing to a pastor whose culture is becoming increasingly hostile towards God. 
And if you think about the way, there's a great sermon by Matt Chandler recently, and it talks about the trajectory of the church. And, and oftentimes we think the trajectory of the church is like a line graph, right? It's just like it either goes up or it goes down. And so like, you know, for the first 2,000 years it was going up, and now it seems to be going down. Um, but that's not true. It's, it's more of like ebbs and, ebbs, ebbs and flows, right? Like, you think about how hostile our culture is to Christianity, uh, it's never been more hostile than the beginning, right, too. So, like, it's, it's been hostile. It's not new. These aren't new things that are happening in our culture. These, this is the same old things that's happening in Timothy's culture in Ephesus. It's happening in Spruce Pine. It's happening in Raleigh. It's happening in Washington, D.C. It's happening in the U.K. Like, it's happening everywhere. It's not unique. But I want you guys to see the context. Paul's writing to a pastor who's pastoring a church whose culture around it looks like this. And it's getting worse because this is what, this is what Paul says um, down here. He says uh, in, in, in verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So there wasn't like this bright light of like, hey, Timothy, things are going to get better. Culture is going to get better. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fantastic. Just hang in there a little bit. He's saying it's going to go from bad to worse. Evil people will get from bad to worse. Now we know that Paul would also tell Timothy, hey, it will get better eventually when Christ returns. But here, as Christ builds his church, it will seem like the darkness is getting darker, but the light can push it back further and further and further. But where the dark is, it gets darker. And so, hey, this is the culture. This sounds like our culture. And here's the cool part about this is Paul gives him some things to do. He says in verse 10, you, however, so he's contrasting Timothy to what he just talked about. There's these evil people, they're bad, they do all these things. There's these men who capture weak women who are burdened with sin and they, they, they counsel them away from the Lord, maybe into their beds. And like it's, it's these evil things that happen. And we see it today with pastors who lead women away and they you know, counsel them into sexual relationships. And so there's this evil that we see happening here. And Paul says to Timothy, you, however, you've seen my example. You've seen my conduct, my teaching, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. The Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is the culture, and Paul says, look to my example. You've seen it. You've seen my example. You've seen who I am, what I've done. It's going to get worse. And then he says, he continues, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from where you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So again, it's increasingly hostile culture going from bad to worse. What, is, what does Paul say Timothy to do? Get out the vote. Go vote, right? Get, get signs and write signs and stand on street corners and pick it, right? And he says, look to my example and look to the sacred texts. Don't forget scripture. You've had it since your childhood. Look back to that. He says, look to the word. And then he tells them this really famous passage of scripture if you've been in church and someone tries to convince you that you know the word this this is actual word of God this is what Paul tells Timothy in 316 all scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul sees this culture. He's got his, he planted, he, Paul planted Ephesus himself. He installs Timothy as the pastor, and Paul goes on to plant more churches. And he knows Timothy's fearful. He's looking down on how young he is, doesn't think anyone's going to listen to him. He's timid. He tells them, hey, it's not going to get a whole lot better for you. Culture's going to get worse. It's going to get more evil. But you look, remember my example. You've seen it. Remember the word. You have the word of God. And it's, it's, it's profitable for teaching, for training, for reproof, for rebuking, for exhortation. It will make the man of God, that, that word man of God there is, is, is the word messenger, so it's not just necessarily every person, um, but it's talking about the messenger, the, the person proclaiming God's message. It makes the man of God complete for every good work. So there's two things happening here. Primarily, this text, 316, has been used to talk about how the word of God is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. That is yes and amen. That is true. This is the word of God. Like, you want to hear from God? You may be like, oh, man, you know, like, I'd just like to hear from God. This is it. This is where you hear from God. This was breathed out of God through the Holy Spirit, through men and women pinning these things. This is the word of God. You just listen to it. Read it. If you really want, if you want to hear it instead of reading it, you can just play it on an app. Like we have, you have Dwell, you have Streetlights, you've got the Bible app. You just listen to the Word of God. You're hearing from God. It is God's inspired Word. But I don't think that's what Paul is primarily trying to tell t young Timothy here. Because Timothy would have already known that. They've believed that forever. What, Timothy's, what Timothy needs to hear now is that it's sufficient, that it's profitable. You look at your culture, you see all this stuff going on, what do you do? What do you do? You look to the word of God. It's profitable, it's sufficient. There's nothing else we need for life and godliness in God's word. There's no new, new concepts or new ideas or there's nothing new to find. There's no new revelation that's going to change a generation or change the world. This is it. It is sufficient. It is all that we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need new TED Talks. We don't need, like, we don't need new good ideas. This is it. This is it. We need the word of God, it is sufficient. It is yes and amen, inspired by God, and it is sufficient. We don't need anything else. It is our authority, and it is our sufficient word for us today in our culture, just like it was for Timothy's culture. So we have the word. Paul says, hey, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's all breathed out by God. It's all profitable. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul tells them, you have the word. You have all that you need to survive, to pastor a church in this culture. It's the word of God. Preach it. Preach the word. In season and out of season, preach the word. Here's why we preach today. Because God has commanded us to. It's really that simple. It was just as simple as singing, right? 
The first point of last week's sermon is why do we sing? Out of obedience. God told us to. Why do we preach? God told us to. Here's why this is good news for us. The fact that God has told us to preach means the reason we preach is not because it works and it's a good idea. It's not because, hey, you know what, we've tried a lot of different ways to do Sunday mornings. We found preaching is the best, so we're going to use preaching. We preach because God has designed it to work this way from the beginning. That this is the way in which God would use his people and it was the vehicle by which he would proclaim his word to the nations. is through preaching. We preach because God calls us to. We preach because God has spoken and we have something to say and God says, say it. Say what I have told you. Preach the word. We have the word of God breathed out by God himself and so we preach it in season and out of season, whether we want to or not. It's not because it works. It's not because it's a good idea, although it does work and we'll talk about that later, but this, we do it be primarily because God has told us to. In season, out of season, no matter what's going on in the world, we preach. There's people who say, hey, you know what, preaching is antiquated. Maybe we shouldn't preach anymore. Maybe we should have, like, dialogues. Let's do, like, roundtable dialogues. Hey, those are great, but they cannot replace preaching because God has commanded us to preach. God has said, preach the word, Timothy. Preach it in season, out of season. With, comp- with, te- with patience, preach it. And so we preach. We preach the word. It's a command. It's a charge. God has commanded it to. It's not our idea. It's not our, we didn't, man did not invent preaching. God did. If man invented it, then it could be cultural, right? Like, hey, you know what? Preaching could have worked 2,000 years ago. I know it's 2019. I don't think preaching works anymore. I think we need something different. Our people like, like, you know, like our people don't have that long of uh, attention spans anymore, right? Because like, I mean, I personally, I preach way longer than scientists tell me I should. Just gonna like be honest with you guys, love it or hate it. I preach longer than scientists tell me or I'm allowed to. Like half of you guys supposedly lose me at like after 15 minutes, and that's well, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't seem like it, but maybe you do. I don't know. But we could say, like, hey, it's cultural, let's do something different. But that's not what the word of God. Like, it wasn't something man invented that worked. It's something that God has given us to do. To proclaim his word, to preach it, to preach. That word preach has in its root in Greek the same as the gospel, um, to evangelize, to preach. So it's this proclamation of God's good news for, for us. So we preach because God has commanded us. What do we preach? We preach the word. God has spoken, and so we speak. Where scripture speaks, God speaks. It's inspired by him. And because God has spoken... Because God has revealed to us who he is and what he's doing and what he's done and what he will do, we have something to say. Scripture's our authority. We talked about Scripture's sufficient. We talked about it. Scripture's inspired. So we preach from Scripture. We preach the Word. So this is what we do at the Grove. This is, I'm going to talk about the Grove for a little bit because this, this sermon series is about why we gather and then we're going to apply it to what we do here. We preach here at the Grove the Bible. Uh, we stick to this text we stick to this book. It's an old book, but it's our book, and we love it. This is what we do. We preach the Bible. We preach by a word. I'm going to pull back the curtain here a little bit um, and give you guys some words you might not care about, um, but we preach what's called expositionally, okay? Expositionally. It's a really, you can write it down if you want to, but you don't need to. You can Google it. Expositionally. I think it's like just basically a made-up word for preaching, but it's, it means stuff. Expositionally means that we take a passage of Scripture, and we pull from it what, is in, what it intended to say, not, not where we intend to say stuff, we go find a bunch of scripture 
to support what we say. Let me explain this. There's just some quotes. This is from Tony Morita. He, uh, he wrote an incredible book called The Christ Center Expositor. He says, expository preaching as a sermon process means that exposition deals with the in-depth study of the text for the purpose of communicating the message the original author intended. So we're not just like, hey, I have a really good idea. Um, let's talk about singing, and I go pull a bunch of verses about singing. And you may be like, hey, Zach, you kind of did that last week. Okay, hold on. It seems like I did it last week, but what we did was we took psalm, we took a psalm, and we went through that psalm and said, what is this psalm trying to say? And we talked about it, and then we took other verses to support it. That's a little bit different, I would say a lot different, than where I could just say, hey, I want to talk about singing, I'm going to pull this verse, this verse, this verse, I'm just going to pull a bunch of verses. We took large texts of scripture, and we put them together to form a sermon. Typically, we don't do that, right? Typically, we go through books of the Bible here at The Grove. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and, and, and we're not creative with the names. We already went over that, like it's James. We spent 12, 13 weeks in James. We called it James. We spent some time in Colossians, called it Colossians, Jonah, Jonah. Like, we, this is what we do. We spent a year and a half in Mark. Uh, we just went through the book of Mark's first book we started. Uh, we just went through Mark. And so that's, you know, I don't, it was a long time. It was good, though. It was like 70-something weeks of Mark. But we preach verse by verse, primarily through books of the Bible, where we have topical series like we have now. Our goal is to, hey, like, there's some things I want the Grove to hear Let's find, let's, let, let's talk about those things. These things are biblical. Let's go through passages of scripture that talk about those things and pull from it. Like, like today, you could say, hey, this isn't expository. This is a topical sermon. But if you, I hope you see that I'm trying to give you the context of 2 Timothy and what Paul was trying to tell Timothy and the, con- the culture that Timothy was in. Like, like it's more than just saying, hey, look, Paul said preach the words. So we better preach. Like what did Paul mean? Paul was saying, Brother, like, I know you're scared. I know things are happening around you, but just stick to what you know. Preach the word. It's all you need is the word. So preach it. Preach it. There's more going on than just a command, like opening scripture and be like, hey, this is it. This is what we should do. So we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, Mark Dever says it this way, expositional preaching is preaching in which the main point of the biblical text being considered becomes the main point of the sermon being preached. So I know you guys probably don't care about this, but just some behind-the-curtain stuff. Like, when we go through books of the Bible, um, uh, we, we, I, I try and study Scripture. I study and say, hey, what is, what is Paul trying to say to the church in Colossians of this, this passage? And what does that mean for us today? Those are kind of the two where we bridge that gap, right? So what is Paul telling Epaphras and, and, and the church in Colossae? And what, is, what does that mean for us today? So we're looking at the context, we're looking at the intended meaning of the original author when we go expositionally through the Bible. Look, you could, if you wanted to, just close your eyes, pray, and just open the Bible, and oh, what does this say? Okay, Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. That's, a really, that's encouraging, and it could be the most encouraging verse, but you could flip through and end up in Hosea and like put your finger on a verse that says, I will destroy your mother. And now you're kind of freaking out a little bit. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy going to destroy my mother. Like, do I need to call her? Should I let her know what's going on? Should I not? Is this like me and God's secret? Like, I don't know what's going on right now. That could happen. So that's not what we do. We don't just flip the Bible open and point to stuff with our darts at the Bible because we need to know what the context is. I'm not going to go into it now, but you want to go look at the context of Hosea where it talks about destroying his mother. Um, it, God's trying to say something there, and it, it means something. It's not just random or weird. Um, but without the context, you could be freaking out. So we don't do that. You could do it and be encouraged. And maybe some of you have done that, and you're like, man, that was a life-changing moment for me. Hey, I'm not 
trying to take that away from you. I'm just saying it's not the best way to hear from God. We want to get into what God was trying to say to the original, op- to the original recipients. So we go through books of the Bible. Um, when we're done with this uh, series, we're going to go into Psalms. We're going to look at the Psalms of David. We're not going to go through the whole book of Psalms. The Psalms is a song book. Each chapter in Psalms are individual songs. So we're going to look at some songs of David. Then we're going to be um, in Advent, and then we'll be in Ephesians next year. And so, like, we got this whole thing planned out. So we preach verse by verse, primarily through books of the Bible. When we do topical, we try and teach verse by verse through passages of Scripture. Why? There's a, several reasons why. We went into a couple of them. I think the, 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 a big one I want you to hear, the reason we do this is I want you to hear the story of redemption throughout every book of the Bible. So the Bible is one book made up of 66 different books. Several authors. It's written in at least three different languages that we, that we know of. We, we, you've got Hebrew, you've got Aramaic, and you have Greek. So all these different languages, three different languages, um, all these different authors. There's 66 books in here, but it tells one story. We know it tells one story because Jesus told us it tells one story. I want us to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke is one of the Gospels of Jesus. It is a narrative that tells us about Jesus' life and ministry. So Luke 24, Jesus has just resurrected. The, the women have seen it. They've gone to go tell the disciples. And we pick Jesus up with a couple disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's Luke 24, starting in verse 13. That very day, the day Jesus was resurrected, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other about, or talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Not the best way to talk to Jesus, okay? But we're going to give him a pass because he didn't know it was Jesus. You shouldn't talk to anyone like that. Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, and we had hoped that he was to be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they even had a seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the, uh, the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, so Genesis, which Moses wrote, uh, wrote, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus gives this awesome Bible study the day he's resurrected, to these two dudes, we know Cleopas, we don't know who else it was, gives them this awesome Bible study revealing from the beginning of our book, Genesis, going through all the prophets, how it's all about him. 
In John chapter 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees who are, you know, memorizing the Old Testament, he says, you search scriptures because you think in them you have found eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. All of scripture is about Jesus. It's not just a tagline for a sign above our bar. We believe it and we preach it every week that this book is all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, the Psalms, the Proverbs, like the Proverbs are the the wisdom of God. Who is the wisdom of God? Jesus. Jesus is the manifold wisdom of God. Like, Like you don't get Proverbs without Jesus. Like Jesus is in it and centered of it all. And so we preach it every week. In fact, it's been said by some people who have visited that I have the same sermon every week. And I'm like, ah, you're right. You're totally right. Like, it's the gospel every single week. Now, uh, hopefully it's not monotonous, like, because the gospel is so deep and has so many facets that we should be talking about a different part of the gospel every week, depending on where we are in Scripture. But it's different. But it is all the gospel. It's all Jesus. The gospel says that we don't have shame anymore if we're in Christ. It says it from Genesis to Revelation. So there's this part in the Old Testament where they're setting up the sacrificial system. So, so, so a way for our guilt and our shame to be taken away. The, the New Testament says it happens in Christ, but here's the way it happened in the Old Testament. What they would do is they would take a lamb and they would sacrifice the lamb and pour its blood over the, uh, or sprinkle its blood over the mercy seat of Christ in, in, the, in, the, in the temple. So they'd do that to appease the guilt of Israel. They would, they would put the, uh, symbolically put the sins of Israel on the lamb and kill the lamb. But then they would take a goat and they'd put the sins of Israel on the goat. By confessing the sins on the goat, they would take that goat and release it into the wilderness never to see it again. It's where we get the term scapegoat from. So they'd take this goat, like someone, like someone else is taking the blame So they put the blame on this goat, release it. And so the gospel says not just that you're guilt-free if you're in Christ, that Christ has died for you so you don't get the punishment, but it would also say that the blame and the shame has been taken away. Just like it did in the Old Testament with the goat, it's done with Christ on the cross. That today, if you are in Christ and you feel shame, that shame is not yours to bear. That shame has been placed on Christ, and he's bore it for you. Any shame you put on yourself is exactly that. You've put it on yourself. You've listened to someone besides God, whether that be the enemy or someone in your life, but you're not listening to God because God would say, you don't have shame. When I look and I see you, who do I see? I see my son and the clothes that he's given you, the righteousness that he's given you. So I could talk about God's shame or our shame being taken away. We could talk about our guilt of our sins. Like the gospel, so that's just two theories of atonement. That's just two things that happen on the cross. There are way more than that. So yes, it's the gospel every single Sunday, but it's different. The atonement, the blood's applied in so many different ways to our lives that it frees us up from everything, that it takes our shame away, that it takes our guilt away. I mean, like, this is amazing. So yes, every Sunday we talk about the same thing because scripture is literally about Jesus. Jesus, Colossians tells us Jesus was there in the beginning when all things were created by him. So you read, in in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus. God promises Jesus will come in Genesis 3. He chooses the people in which Jesus would come through in Abraham. Like it's all, so then then you have have the kings and you have David, you have the Psalms that are primarily about Jesus. You have Proverbs that reveal Jesus' wisdom. You have all these things happening. Then Jesus actually comes 
and the Gospels, and then, and then Paul and, and Peter and, and the dudes and Jude and all these guys, they write uh, letters about Jesus, and then Revelation is about one day Jesus will come. And so it's all about Jesus. And so, yes, we preach the same thing every Sunday. The other reason we preach verse by verse is because it, uh, through books of the Bible, is because it does not allow me to skip the uncomfortable parts. Right? There's, there's times where, like, man, it'd be so much cooler if, like, this book didn't say that, because that's going to get me in trouble, or that's going to um, get people mad, or it's going to just be uncomfortable and awkward. The biggest way this has happened was when it was just uncomfortable. I'm actually pretty good being rebellious and getting people mad at me. Like, I don't, like, I feel like that's probably too, I go too far that direction, and maybe God's trying to rein me back a little bit, but I don't like awkwardness and uncomfortableness. And so, very early on, about a year into this thing, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, found some, out some bad news about their, um, their child, and they were going to have a, uh, either a miscarriage or a stillbirth. Uh, at that point, they were going to have a stillbirth. They, they were, it, was, you know, it was like 20-something weeks, early 20s, 21, 22. It was horrible news. The week after they found out, they were at church, and we're in Mark, and I'm preaching through Mark, and the text that God had given me that day, because we decided a year ago we were going through Mark, was when Jesus sent the disciples into the storm. The disciples weren't there because of anything they did. They were there because God put them there. So I'm here standing. It wasn't here. It was actually somewhere else at the track center. Um, preaching that God sometimes puts us in storms, not because of anything we did, but because he just puts us there because he wants to put us there to make us more like Christ. And it may seem, may seem horrible. It may seem unkind. But it's the kindest thing for God to make us like Christ. And I'm sitting here telling this young couple who's about to lose their baby that God could have put them in the storm. But I did that because I was being faithful to the text, the text that God had given me a year ago. And it was exactly what they needed to hear, that their God is sovereign, and even in the storm, they can trust him. Even in the storm, he's good. And they needed to hear that, but I would rather have not have told them that in front of a bunch of other people. Everyone knew what was going on. It was super, like, it was teary-eyed. It was, it was awkward and uncomfortable. But I had to do it because the preacher of this allows me not to skip things, not to, you know, um, go with my tendency to skip uncomfortable parts. But I have to because this is it here. This is what it says. So we preach the word. We preach, we preach and we preach the word. Paul's telling him to preach. Paul could have said, hey, just read my letters. Um, you know, like, read these letters. These are really encouraging letters. But he says, preach the word. Don't just read it. Read it, yes. He'll tell, t you know, Timothy and other letters to, or other pastors and other letters to read this in front of the whole church and send it to other churches and have it read before them. But he also says to preach the word. So we preach it. We preach it here at the Grove, and we try to be faithful. It's not just about me. Like, I don't want to be the only one preaching. Mark preached the very first sermon of this series, and it was fantastic. Um, we want to raise up more men to preach. We want to bring in some dudes to preach. Um, my goal is to get like the mid-40s a year. So we, there's 52 weeks in a year. I want to get like the mid-low 40s. We're going to do that step by step. I'm just going to like, you know, just disappear um, for like 12 weeks. But we're going we're gonna to do that. It's good. It's going to be good for you guys. One, you get to hear someone else and not just me all the time. Two, if I go past 12 weeks, it starts to get a little like angry and rebuking instead of not so much exhorting. Um, and that's just because I've been up here a lot and I get tired. And so we're going to get some new dudes in. We're going to get some guys in. Mark's going to preach some more. Uh, we're going to bring some Acts 29 guys in to preach. We're going to raise up some guys to preach. And so um, it's not, this isn't just about me. 
but we preach because God has commanded it, and we preach the word because it's sufficient for us. It's all we need. There's a couple more things I want to say. The, the, the next one would be um, preaching. I'm not trying to say that this is the way everyone needs to preach the way we do it, but there is such thing as bad preaching. You guys, you guys track with me? There's such thing as bad preaching. Paul brings this up to Timothy. He says in verse 3 of chapter 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So that existed back then, or is it going to exist, and, it's, and it exists today. Not every person who pastors a church and preaches the word uh, is preaching God's word. I'm not calling anyone out. I'm just saying Paul said it was going to happen, and we can see it happening. There is so much preaching out there to hear, and you guys should listen to more preaching than just Sunday mornings, okay? Uh, you have all the bad preaching you could possibly bear and more in your pocket right now, right? Because we have access to the internet with our phones. We can listen to all the bad preaching we want. Preaching that's just about us, preaching that tells us how awesome we are and how great we are and how you can do it. Just try hard. It's going to be awesome. You're a good person. You know, be nice and, and, and love other people. Like, we could, pr- we could just talk about things that, that scratch your itching ears. I think I said it right this time. I said it way wrong last service. Um, scratch your itching ears and make you feel good. We could probably grow a pretty big church around that. And it's happening online. It's happening other places. And so I want you guys, all I'm going to say is just be careful who you listen to. If you're listening to someone who always just tells you how awesome you are, doesn't tell you anything that challenges you, doesn't tell you anything that pushes you, it's probably not what you need to be listening to. And here's what I'm not, I'm not just saying just listen to me. I'm not. As much as you have all the bad preaching in the world at your, at your fingertips and in your pocket, you have an incredible amount of good preaching. And if you don't know who you should be listening to besides me, uh, man, I, you come talk to me, I could overwhelm you with names. There are so many incredible preachers that we have access to today. Old, young, um, like way old, as far as back as they have recordings, um, which isn't as far back as I thought, by the way. Um, and then we can, you can read sermons from Charles Spurgeon. Like, there's incredible ways... To, to read incredible stuff, to listen to incredible stuff. But there's one caveat to that. Listen to good preaching, yes. But the preaching that you listen to online is not your pastor. He's just not. It's going to sound like I'm building myself up here, and I'm not. This goes for any local church. The pastor you're listening to online is a pastor he is preaching the word. It's fantastic, but he's not your pastor. He doesn't think of you when he's planning his sermon. He's not on his knees praying over his notes, hoping that you'll hear what you need to hear. He's not applying it to your lives into your context. The idols in Raleigh that J.D. Greer preaches about are not the same idols we have in Spruce Pine. The idols we have in Spruce Pine are different than the idols that Matt Chandler preaches about in Dallas, Texas. They're just different. Listen to them. They're great, great men of God but it is not, he's not your pastor. This is what happens, and it makes me sad, and not because of me, it makes me sad, even if it's someone at a different church. You get the question like, hey, who's some of your favorite pastors? Oh, my, I love, you know, this pastor, I love this pastor. They name people they've never met, they've never even seen live, and that's just sad. Like, 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 this is gonna sound like I'm talking about me, but I'm not. Like, all over the country, there are pastors who are pouring their life out for their people. 
they're being wrung out for the glory of God. And some of the people in there, his favorite pastor is some dude they never met, who doesn't even know them, who's never prayed for them by name. Like, listen to other pastors, yes, but th- listen to your local church. If this isn't your place where you want to be, hey, I'm totally fine. We could probably use some more seats, especially the earlier service. That's fine. Go find a new place. But wherever you find, if that's your pastor, listen to him. Submit to him. Listen to his preaching and know that, that his preaching is for you specifically. And the pre- great preaching you're getting online, it's encouraging and sounds better and it's way better than what you hear here. Because, like, listen, I know there's tons of, like, you guys, if, 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 if all preaching, if all church was is preaching, we don't need to be here. There's way better preaching online. We all just go home, I'll just hit play, and we can just sit here and watch it. It'd be fantastic. But that's not what it's about. It's about God's word being taught, being preached for you specifically. That's all I want to say. It felt like a lot, but that's, that's it. There's bad preaching, there's good preaching, and there's preaching for you. Last thing. We preach, why? Because God commands it, but why does he command it? Why does he command it? Let's turn to Romans chapter 10, starting verse 14. This is why God commands preaching. Paul has just told the church in Rome that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is what he says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now listen, my, be- my feet are not beautiful. That's like totally figurative right there, okay? My feet are disgusting. That's why I wear shoes, not sandals when I'm up here. But this is, that was supposed to be a joke. No one laughed. It was horrible. I'm not using that joke ever again. Um, I didn't say the first service. I shouldn't have said it here. And uh, so Paul, telling the church in Rome, um, that's why I shouldn't plan my jokes. You know, like, they got to be, like, spontaneous. Margie always tells me that. Um, you preach, you preach because that's the vehicle in which God has decided to save people. It is. How are they to call upon the name of the Lord if it's going to save them if they don't know they don't believe. How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to hear if they, someone hasn't preached? Preaching the word is a command by God, something God invented, so that we could call people to repentance, call people to faith, and could transform lives. Last passage of scripture we're going to read, it's a story, and it's fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 37. It's this incredible passage of scripture. Ezekiel is a prophet. God is, is showing him a vision of a valley of dry bones. And we pick it up in verse, or chapter, one, or chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So there's this vision God is giving Ezekiel of, of, of a, a valley just full of bones, an army just totally massacred, where there was no one even left to bury the dead. That's what we have. They're dry, they've been dead for a long time, and there's so many of them. And then then he said, then God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. So God says, can these dry, can this army live again? Can these dry bones, could they possibly live? Ezekiel's answer is like, God, you know. You can do whatever you want. You know. That's a really good answer. He knew who he was talking to. He said, you know. Here's what God says. 
And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Dry, dead, dry bones of an army. God says, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, you know, then God says, then prophesy over them, preach to them, proclaim my words to them, and I will, put, I will breathe life into them, I will put sinews on them, I will put skins on them, and they will live again, and they will know that I am the Lord. This is how God has designed this thing to work. This is how God has designed life to come into the dead. So, verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied there was a sound and behold, the rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. So it does work. That the, pro- the proclamation of God's word brings life to the dead. It brings people from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is how God designed it. And look, look, in, look, look, look it's not just like actual life and actual dead people. He says in verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. It's my people. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. How many Christians feel like that today? You look at the world around and you're like, man, like hope is lost. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, and I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And it will be my spirit within you, or I'll put my spirit within you. And you shall live, and I will uh, place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Like, this, like, preaching brings life to the dead. You look in our, in our world today, and everyone's like, oh, you gotta, you know, oh, you, you got to get the vote out. you got to do this. you got to you know, uh, do this in your communities and do this. Like, the primary way in which God does all those things is through preaching. Why do, people, why do Christians go and serve their communities? Because God has told them to in his word, and someone's preached it, proclaiming his word. Like, all the things we want to do in our life and in our communities and in Spruce Pine, all the things we want to do as a church and all the people we want to reach and all the, 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 the kingdom that we want to advance will be advanced through the preaching of God's word. And it's not just up here. Yes, we preach on Sundays and then you go out, and we'll talk about the last week, but you go out and you preach the gospel, you proclaim the gospel with your lives and in your words, wherever you go, whether you work, play, eat, and sleep, you, wherever you go, preach the gospel because it's what's going to change things. It's what's going to change this world. It's what's going to bring life to the dead. And for all of us here today who are in Christ, we were once dead. And someone preached and proclaimed the gospel to us, and it has brought life to us. And so we do that every Sunday to keep us going, to keep us steadfast in the faith that we once heard, and to bring new people around the table. 
to bring many new people, men, women, and children to the table to, pro- to eat and drink with us, with Christ. This is why we preach. And we do it every Sunday, and it's the same message in different text, and it will shape our church, it will shape our community and our culture. Because it's what it has the power to do. So man, like I know we went long today, our kids, people are going to be upset with me. I'll hear about it later. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. To next steps, though, so I'll hear about it next week. Uh, that's really, that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, so, so yeah. So then, this is, this is, this is it, though. This is why we preach. So we preach. We hear the gospel. Then we respond. We're gonna respond through song. We're gonna respond through communion. So if you're a Christian and you have heard the gospel, and it has helped you believe has helped you call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, then come eat and drink and celebrate. We, we eat the bread to remind us that God's, our Jesus' body was broken for us in Christ Jesus, that his blood was spilt and his blood redeems us. It paid the price to bring us out of that domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. So remember those things. We, we celebrate those things for eating and drinking. If you're a member of the Grove or you're a supporter of the Grove, we also take this time to give we have the box up here on the corner of the, uh, the bar. If you are not a member, if you're new here, this is not me asking you for money. If you're new here, um, our hope is that this gathering was a gift to you. But if you are a member, uh, man, please, uh, your generosity uh, helps us keep going and further in the kingdom. So be, we're, we are all generous because God has been generous to us. So in response to generosity, we sing and the gospel we eat and drink and we give. And those are the things, that's how we respond here at the Grove. So we'll do that. Uh, and then we'll have a couple announcements and, and have a benediction. We'll get out of here. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you've given us um, a story that we can proclaim, a story that our stories fit into, and, and, and it makes it so much, a, much, so much a better story. God, that our stories can be redeemed by yours. God, so I pray that you would strengthen our resolve at the Grove, that we would be committed to your word, that we'd be committed to the gospel, and we'd preach it every week and not grow weary of doing good or hearing your word. Be with us now as we respond. I pray you'd stir in our hearts a love for the word, a a belief in the sufficiency of the word. We'd respond to the goodness of your gospel through eating, drinking, singing, and giving. Father, we love you. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Man, love you guys.